I wonder how you've arrived this morning, how you are, obviously you've arrived in your cars, but I don't mean it like that. I mean, how you're feeling, um, how your weeks have gone. Uh, do you feel run out? Uh, do you feel you know, happy with how the week has gone? Maybe you've had a great first week back at school. Maybe, Amy, you've had a, a carriage, you've had a great week back at school, I don't know. Um, I've had a long week, it's been a, it's been a difficult one back at school. Maybe we're feeling tired. Maybe we've been a bit drawn out, a bit uh, exhausted. Neil, you went on a 85-mile bike ride yesterday and you must be sat there absolutely exhausted. But maybe what I mean when I'm talking about exhaustion is maybe we feel spiritually exhausted. Maybe we feel a bit run out, a bit uh, feel like we're struggling in life, we're battling through life. In this passage, what we're going to see is that God himself is more than adequate. He's more than adequate. He's, he can sustain us. In, uh, in, in times of trouble. He can sustain us in, in, in times of need. He can aid us. And ultimately what he can do is he can save us. And I know many of us are sat here this morning as believers and we've experienced his saving power. And we can give glory to God for that this morning. Maybe we're sat here not as a believer. And what we're going to look at this morning is a passage that shows us God's power to save. We'll see pictures of God's ability to save us um, I, I, I don't apologize for the passage I've chosen this morning to preach on a couple of weeks ago I got married and my wife was sat there at the back uh, Beth um, but uh, I thought going to the wedding of Cana will be a good passage to go to uh, so we will be turning there it is in John chapter 2 if you get your your Bibles open there if you follow through with me there but this is a it's a powerful passage both on the surface on the physical level, we see Jesus performing an incredible miracle. He breaks, the, he breaks natural laws. That's what a miracle is, breaking natural law. And it is the, the first miracle that the Gospels uh, tell us of. Um, don't know whether Jesus performed any miracles when he was a child, but they're not recorded for us. Um, but certainly Jesus, when his, his first miracle that's recorded for us is here in the Gospel of John. But also we're going to learn a lot of spiritual lessons from this passage as well. Uh, we can learn uh, spiritual lessons from this passage that will encourage us, that will challenge us. And that's both for the believer and those who don't call Christ their saviour as well. So that's where we'll be going this morning. So if you, you turn to John chapter 2 with me and we're going to read verses 1 through to 12. And then we'll go from there. So John chapter Two. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill these jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tested the water, now become wine. And did not know where it came from, though the servants knew who had drawn the water. 
the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana at Galilee and he manifested his glory and the disciples believed him. And this he went down after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. So that is John chapter two. And that's what we will be looking at this morning. I just want to give you, um, I just want, want you to try and put yourself at this wedding. Um, I want you to try and paint the picture for yourself in your head. Try and pretend you're one of the, uh, one of the guests you've been invited to this wedding. Um, you um, are uh, enjoying the day. And now I want you to just look over the other side of the room. Uh, and I want you to look over to the groomsman. And I want you to pretend to see the look of horror on the groomsman's face as he realises that the wine at the wedding is, there's only a little bit left in the final jar. Just imagine the fear on his face. He doesn't know what he's going to do. The drink's all dried up. The wedding planner has made a logistical hash up and the groomsman has already messed up in front of his in-laws. Now, I want to give you a bit of context behind these Jewish weddings. These Jewish weddings were not your bog standard, run-of-the-mill um, kind of Western Christian wedding that we, you know, we've experienced in the past. You know, these weddings were long affairs. These weddings were drawn-out affairs. These were a couple of days long in time. Um, these typical Jewish feasts lasted for several days. Um, and I can only hope for this man's sake, this groomsman, because they were the ones who actually organised the wedding. It wasn't the other way around. In today's society, it tends to be the, um, the bride's family that funds most of the wedding. Well, in those days, it was on the groom and it was him who was left with this horrible situation where the wine had pretty much ran out. And I can only hope for his sake it had happened on the last day of the wedding and not the first day because there may have been five more days where you'd have to try and uh, you know, explain to all the in-laws and the family members uh, what had happened. And also, Jesus is there. Uh, Jesus is there with his mother and possibly his wider family members and his disciples. And before we go into the passage, I really want to stress this point this morning. Jesus was at a wedding. Jesus, the God-man, was at a wedding and he was enjoying himself with friends and family, and I do want to draw out this simple encouragement. Jesus, the real man, was invited to this wedding. He enjoyed the wedding. He celebrated this love between this new couple. And he would have been found laughing, conversing uh, at this feast with others. And I love that. I love that Jesus was there and he was enjoying this wedding. If you turn back to John chapter 1 and you look at the very first words in John chapter 1 in this passage... It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things, excuse me, I made a weird sound with my mouth there, Um, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Why do I take you back to there? We believe as Christians that God that Jesus Christ was God himself. We believe that he was fully God and fully man. John chapter 1 tells us that he was in the beginning 
and everything was made through him. And you jump on however long it was. And God himself is sat chatting to family members and friends. And he's conversing with people. He's showing love to them. And I think that's a beautiful thing for us to remember about who we worship as Christians. God became a man and he dwelt amongst us. The word became flesh. And he went to weddings. He laughed. He mourned. He tired. He conversed. He prayed. He was one of us. And that's the massive difference that Christianity uh, makes between all other religions. But no other religion can claim that God became a man. And that's something that I want us to be encouraged by this morning. Everything you experience in your life, our God has been through too. And uh, I think that's a really nice part for us to start this morning. So let's dive into the passage. Let's look at the passage and uh, let's see what spiritual lessons, what um, things we can learn from this. So during the festivities, a situation arises that could have ruined this joyous event. This is possibly the worst thing that could have happened to this groomsman. To the, if they were wedding planners, it's the worst thing that could have happened to them. And it was certainly a, a point uh, of um, reputation uh, damaging towards this family. If this situation has happened, then this poor bloke's going to go away with this shame for the rest of his life. Um, the bridegroom and the ruler of the feast had no solution. Now, that's the point I want to draw out at the beginning of this passage, that their earthly resources, everything that they could conjure up, was spent. And it's this problem, uh, one of life's dilemmas, that can teach us something as believers, as non-believers, in how we should respond in this situation. How should we respond when in life situations, when we feel like we're spent, when we feel like we're at the end of our earthly resources, where do we go? in that situation and there's a particular character in this story who goes to the right place and points points people to the right source and it's the mother of Jesus Mary who I want us to focus on this morning so I've got four points that I want to draw out if you are interested in in taking notes and have your pen at hand I'll point them out for you as we go along there's four things that we can learn from Mary uh, in the way that she responds so the first point is this At the wedding at Cana, Mary identified a need. Mary identified a need. Mary identified the need in the people around her. Excuse me. Mary identified the need in the people around her and knew the solution. In this situation, Jesus could practically and miraculously help See, Mary looked around and she, she, like us, when we were thinking about the, the story and we were putting ourselves in that situation, she had her eyes open to the situation and she could see the look of horror on that groomsman's face. And she recognised there was an issue. How can we draw um, a teaching point from this? Well, those of us who call ourselves Christians, we need to be able to identify need in others. So how do we do that? We need to invest time in other people. That's what we need to do as Christians. That's what we've been called to do as believers in Christ. Those who believe in the gospel and want to share Jesus with others. Well, we need to invest in other people. We can do that with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, can't we? Who may need encouragement. Maybe they've forgotten the promises of God. Are stumbling or falling by the wayside. Well, how are we to recognise those things? We must invest 
in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe that's family members, friends and colleagues who are trying and failing because of their earthly resources. They've ran out and they're muddling their way through life. Well, we as Christians need to invest in those people. So that's the first thing we can learn from Mary. She identified the need. And I asked this question to us this morning. Do we know these people in our lives well enough to identify the need? Are we investing in these people? And that's a massive challenge to us all. It's a massive challenge to me. Do I invest in you guys? Um, we need to ask ourselves those questions. And Mary certainly did this. She invested uh, and she identified a need. Mary knew Jesus and because she did, she was able to bring the vital message to the servants and the master of ceremonies. And this brings us to our second point. At the wedding at Cana, Mary knew of the source. I did write a source, but we know as Christians that this is the source. No one else uh, at this wedding knew of and urged the servants to obey Jesus. What was Mary's natural instinct? Her natural instinct was to run to the only one who could supply in this time of need. And that was the Son of God. The Son of God was there at this wedding. And, and Mary knew that the place to run to was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Mary, what does Mary say to the servants in the passage? If you go um, to verse, uh, to verse uh, 5, uh, his mother said to the servants... And as you read this, there's no better advice on earth than this, is there? There's no better advice on earth than this. She says, do whatever he tells you. She knows that Jesus is the son of God. And she points them to Jesus and says, do whatever he tells you. What's Mary doing here? Um, she's signposting, isn't she? Uh, she's, pointing, uh, she's pointing the servants to the one who can help in this situation, the only one who can help in this situation. Um, I in fact, I I'm pretty certain if I were to ask most people in this room, many of you will have come across a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And if you've never come across this book before, it's a, it's a book um, written by John Bunyan. I'm correct there, aren't I? That's right. I'm glad I got that right. It's, it's a book written by a guy called John Bunyan who, um, who loved Jesus and wanted to uh, kind of explain the Christian walk and the process of becoming, uh, of not believing, to believing, and then the Christian walk, he wrote it down into a really nice uh, children's book, but something we can all certainly learn from. And in Pilgrim's Progress, there's, uh, there's a couple of characters, and there's one character that really stands out for me, uh, and it's a guy called Evangelist, um, a, a fellow called Evangelist. And Evangelist in this story, to, um, to Pilgrim, uh, to Christian, his name is, but he's, you know, he's, he's also called Pilgrim in the book. Um, there's a point where Pilgrim uh, meets this man called Evangelist. And Evangelist is a great character because what does he do? Like Mary, he points Pilgrim to Jesus. And I'm going to read you a passage from the book. Um, and it is in ye old English, but uh, I didn't want to change it because um, I'll try and change a few words as I go along just to make it a bit more understandable. But uh, it's a really powerful um, part of the book. Let me read it to you. Uh, and just bear in mind as we read it that Evangelist does exactly what Mary does at the wedding of Cana. He says this Then said Evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, Do you see yonder wicket gate? The man, Christian, said, No, 
Then said evangelist, do you see yonder shining light? He said, I think I do. Then said evangelist, keep that light in your eye and go directly there too. So you shall see the gate at which thou knockest. It shall be told you what you shall do. I think this is such a powerful picture that is painted for us by John Bunyan. Evangelist points Christian to the only source. And Mary does exactly the same. And this morning I want to, I want to encourage us to be like Mary, to be like Evangelist. If we are followers of Jesus, what's, our, what's one of our biggest calls as followers of Jesus? It's to be like Mary and Evangelist, to point people to the source. We must urge people towards Christ, towards this wicked gate. You know, uh, Jesus himself goes on to call himself the door. Why does he call himself the door? He calls himself the door because he is the only way to go. He's the only one to go through to get into relationship with God. Sometimes as Christians, we need reminding of this ourselves. It's Christ we need to go to. When our earthly resources are lacking, it's Christ we need to go to. For non-Christians, those who, for those who don't know Jesus, if you do not know Jesus, I urge you towards him this morning because it is him who has the power, being God, to sustain you in this life. So there are our first two points. At the wedding of Cana, Mary identified a need. And the second point, at the wedding of Cana, Mary knew of a source no one else did know of and urged the servants to obey him. And our third point this morning is this. At the wedding at Cana, Jesus' solution was adequate and more. It was more than adequate. The problem was completely solved, just as Mary had hoped. Again, put yourself in that, at that wedding. And there's been this, maybe a kerfuffle in the corner, this worry. And then Jesus and the servants go off. And then Jesus comes back and sits down. He carries on talking. And the, 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 the servant takes a cup uh, of water, uh, he thought anyway, to the master of ceremonies. And what does the master of ceremonies do? If you look at the passage again, the master of ceremonies, once he's drank this so-called water, he says, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus has performed this miracle, this, this, this situation that was all going downhill. Jesus has completely turned it around. The wedding is saved. The best wine is saved. If you have your Bibles, turn to, can you turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19? Uh, don't worry if you uh, don't want to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to us here. Um, we might have heard this verse a lot before and it says this Philippians 4:19 and my god my god will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus see we know this verse many of us know this verse we've heard this verse before but how easy is it to forget that truth how easy is it to forget that our god if he is on our side, we'll always supply every need. And that doesn't necessarily mean that life's going to be a doddle. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not that everything's going to smell of roses, but our God will sustain us. 
if you know the context of this passage, Paul, the writer, this man who used to hate Christians, who used to persecute them, who used to kill them, and is miraculously converted on the road to Damascus, in his preaching later on in his life, as he's writing this, where is he sat? He sat in a prison cell. He sat in a a dreary, cold Roman prison cell, and yet he is able to write this, this passage, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Paul could speak of God's provision given to him whilst in the most dire of positions. He knew God's love for him, and it, he was enabled by the Spirit of God of what Christ had done for him, and he was sustained, and that gave him a genuine love for life. It's a challenge for us this morning, isn't it? For those of us who love Jesus, do we believe this in every moment of our lives? When we are going through trials, when we're going through temptation in our darkest moments, even in our highest moments, sometimes that's the most difficult time to remember this promise. My God shall supply all your needs. See, Jesus is more than adequate for us as believers, more than adequate He sustains us. He is the great sustainer. He is the one who is with us in every step in life. And Paul was able to speak of that as he sat in Roman chains. And the same God that sustained Paul is the same God 2,000 years on who sustains us. Let's remember that this morning as believers. To those of us who, who don't know Jesus, who haven't had that moment where we've called Jesus into our life, I want to tell you this morning that there is a God who can supply everything you need in this life and the next. Like the original wine, which wasn't sufficient, which wasn't satisfactory. Our lives are full of sin. Our lives are full of something called sin. And what is sin? Sin is it's just the things that we do in life that are against a holy God. See, we believe as Christians that God created the earth. He created it perfect and he himself was perfect. And yet humanity, through the fall, fell away from God's perfection, fell away from him. And because of this concept of justice, we all understand justice. We all understand that, that when something goes wrong, there needs to be something done about it. Something we can you know, we cry out for justice all the time, certainly as this city as well. We understand it very well. But God is a God of justice as well. God is a holy God and he cannot stand and bear with sin. The Bible says that we are condemned before a holy God. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, this is written by Paul as well. And Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is a powerful explanation of our position before a holy God if we are without Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You see, we're not dead right now, are we? We're physically alive, but this passage describes us as being dead in our sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, And the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, that passage calls us as humanity children of wrath. God's wrath is upon those who do not, who have not called him into their life. But God, see, these passages like this bring so much hope, so much hope to those who have turned to Jesus. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which we which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive see we being dead we couldn't do anything about it those of us who love Jesus who have been made uh, followers of him before that we could not turn ourselves to him just like the man at this wedding who could not change who could not who had by his earthly resources could not bring about a good solution in that situation we are in that situation as well as human beings. We are dead in our trespasses, but God is the one who opened our eyes to who Jesus Christ was. And by grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What an incredible passage that is. In Christ, in Christ, we can be brought into relationship with the living God and in being in a relationship with the living God, we have someone who is more than adequate when we come across life's problems, whenever we come across trials or barriers, he's there with us. He's brought us into relationship with the Father. We have someone who is more than adequate for life's problems. And I have to ask that question this morning. To those who, who do not know him yet, will you believe on him? I'm doing it's, as Christians, we're called to be like evangelists, to be like Mary, to point people towards the, the gate to the door to God. And that is Jesus Christ. Will you believe on him? Jesus is more than adequate for humanity's problems. Jesus, Jesus is more than adequate for your sin problem. So there's three points. Uh, the first being uh, Mary identified a need at the wedding at Cana. And at the wedding at Cana, Mary knew of a source that no one else did and urged the servants to obey Jesus. And at the wedding at Cana, Jesus' solution was adequate and was more. And the final point this morning that we, can, that we can learn from this passage, at the wedding at Cana, his disciples believed on him. His disciples believed on him. If you look at verse uh, 11, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at, the, at Cana in Galilee. And he manifested his glory. He showed people who he was. And his disciples believed in him. They believed in him. The disciples, even Mary, must have had their faith doubled, trebled, quintupled. First of all, what is faith? Well, faith is belief, isn't it? Faith is believing and these people, they believed on who Jesus was. Yes, Mary probably saw things in her son's life over the years that might have uh, grown her faith. But certainly in this moment, her faith in seeing the actions, seeing the, the power that Jesus manifested, her faith was, was grown. And this is the beautiful overflow, overflow of following and serving Christ. Being followers of Christ and serving him. 
We have the great gift of the grace that he gives us when we see him move, when we act in faith, when we see him move, when we act in faith. See, Mary acts in faith, doesn't she? She, she knows that Jesus is the son of God and she, she, she steps out uh, and she does something. She tells the servants, believe in him, follow him. She takes a, a step of faith. When we serve Christ, when we serve him, we get a front row seat to the wonders that he performs. We get a front row seat to the wonders that he performs. That may be seeing that friend you've been praying for for years. Ask that deep life question, maybe at a weekly coffee uh, hangout or a drink. That may be a colleague that maybe you've been asking to, to come along to church so that they can hear uh, about the message uh, of the gospel come along for the first time. Maybe a family member who's distanced themselves from the faith slowly have their faith revived and that fire of the gospel rekindled in their life as you've walked with them for years. These are all situations that require stepping out in faith, trusting in God's power to move. Mary does that and she marvels at what God does and we also have that opportunity this morning we have that opportunity this morning to step out in faith this week in the coming months in the years that we follow him in this life and and see the wonders that god can perform uh see the miracles that he can perform in bringing people to faith uh in doing uh, amazing things and i'm you know i often ask myself why i'm slow to do this and I know many of us would be sat there this morning thinking the same time. I've been a follower of Christ for um, when I was eight. Uh, I made that confession of faith when I was eight years of age. And I haven't stepped out in faith as much as I should have. Because I follow a powerful God and yet I should be more faithful. And I often ask myself that question. Why I'm slow to point people to the cure. Uh, because I know for sure in doing so, it's going gonna, it's gonna to multiply my faith. And it's going to bring joy in believing. And more joy than anything in this world can ever offer. So what should we do? Like Mary should take on this task. With real endeavour. With real passion. Because serving brings joy and hope in believing. And it strengthens our faith in him. So in closing. Uh, we like Mary. If we're believers. If we follow him. We have the source of life. Uh, we have the answer. Uh, Mary had the answer at this wedding. Uh, she pointed people to Christ. This should fill us with great joy in believing in this life. And it should also spare us on to follow him. For those who do not know Christ yet. He is the spring of true life. He is the wellspring of true life. And he offers his love and perfect, his perfect love this morning and care for you today. Uh, he is more than adequate for life's problems. He is more than adequate for life solutions. As we said before in Philippians where Paul sat in that prison, it doesn't mean that life becomes easy. Life is difficult as a Christian. Uh, you know, we look at the persecution of Christians in Afghanistan at this time and we, we pray for our brothers and sisters over there, of course. And you know, in, in, We live a relatively sheltered life uh, here in the West, but at the same time there's many things that we have to deal with and, 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 and fight against. Uh, but uh, as Christians, uh, we have a, a sustainer, a great sustainer who provides for all of our needs. 
Uh, and I would ask you this morning, if you don't know him, consider him. Uh, consider the power that he has. Consider uh, the, the love that he has that no one else can offer. And the, not just helping us in this life, but helping us uh, in providing us with, a, with forgiveness of sin and providing us with uh, the door uh, to heaven and eternal life with him. That's what he offers. Uh, that's what he promises. And we can believe the truth in that this morning if we, if we call out to him. Um, so I, I will pray uh, and then I'm going to hand over to, to Neil and he'll lead us in, in communion. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you for uh, this uh, well-known story uh, of, of, of Christ, uh, the, the God-man going to a wedding and manifesting his glory. And I pray that this morning, uh, as we have uh, considered Christ, uh, that your glory would have been manifested to each of us, uh, that we would see uh, that he is more than adequate. He is the great sustainer. He is the great provider in this life and in the next. And I pray that we would we'd walk with him and we would trust him and know that he is sufficient. He is powerful. Uh, he is uh, he will supply all of our needs. We pray this in your name. Amen.